you have your scriptures, we're going to turn to that, that text that we just sang and we just uh, read together, Psalm 139. So if you could turn over there with me, that would be, that'd be beautiful. As we're turning there this morning, I want you to kind of know where we're, where we're going with this. It, um, you know, God wants you to know him. And if you're like me, you get to this place in your life where you're kind of like content, like, okay, I know you enough, Lord. I get it. I, I hear, heard you. I, I have been acquainted with you, and so I'm close enough to you. And, and the Lord has his ways, doesn't he? Say, oh, no, 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 no. I want you to know that I know everything about your life. I want you to come and park in my presence in such a way that it is completely unmistakable that my knowledge of you is complete, that I have been working in this world with all wise wisdom, with all wise movement over your heart, and I want you to know that I know. And guys, in, in being drawn in and parking in the presence of the Lord like that, we learn a lot about him and we learn a lot about us. And I believe that this passage is going to teach us that the greatest motivator, the greatest life changer, the greatest fear producer, the greatest security, the greatest comfort, the greatest source of humility is when we come to understand that the living king of the universe has turned all his sovereign watch care on you. He knows it all. And he's faithful to us. And in the midst of that, I want you to feel Psalm 139. We are entering now, just so you can kind of track it, we're entering now this last like grouping of psalms that David wrote. And we are, we've just reversed 400 years. So just so you're tracking, we said in the, uh, and again, it's in, I believe it's in the notes in the bulletin, but um, back in um, the earlier Psalms, we, we learned that the Lord is king. Remember the Malek, Yahweh Malek? We learned that the Lord is king over uh, the universe. And then we learned that it's right that we should all praise him. And then we just finished a study on these Psalms of Ascent which were really written and used, again, 400 years later, about the time of the exile, where they would go and from their moments of exile, they would come back to Jerusalem and remind one another, oh yeah, the Lord, the Lord is good. He has been faithful to us. And now it's as if the psalmist is saying, let's go back to those Davidic psalms, and David's writing about all of these enemies of the Lord. And like chronologically, we would say, no, 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 no. The Lord is king. We should praise him. We should keep going. But David is a realist. And what he's really underscoring here is already the Lord reigns in grandeur and beauty, but not yet has he made his throne on this earth. The second coming is still to come. And so we are going to live, uh, as we look at now Psalms, uh, these Psalms 1, um, Oh, man, 138 through 145, this last grouping, he's going to write time and time again, is David, of the enemies of the Lord that are still in the world, even though Yahweh is king. 
And what do we do with that? What do we do with that? So we're going to pray. Excuse me, we're going to read Psalm 139, and then we're going to pray. So verse 1, by the way, let me say one other thing. We're skipping the fearfully and wonderfully made part. Now, I love fearfully and wonderfully made. I think you do too. But we are saving that part of the psalm for January when we come back to Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. So we're going to to handle verses 1 through 12 and then jump to the end. Psalm 139, verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my Lying down, you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is is too wonderful for me. It It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, And the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And will you skip down with me to verse 23? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way. That is everlasting. Father, we are like David, individuals coming before you. And we're in a group setting this morning. We're gathered corporately. But we want to feel the weight of these individual words. We want to learn from David. And we're praying that your Holy Spirit would teach us. We're praying that we would learn of you. We're praying that you would... You would settle on us in such a glorious way here this morning that we do not walk out of here in the same way we walked in. Not because of the, the words of, uh, of, of a teacher or pastor, but because we've met with you, all of us. So come meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we uh, come to Psalm 139, and we start with the, verse, the first verse to the choir master, a psalm of David, and it says there, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And the theme of this psalm we've already hinted at is that God knows us fully. He knows everything that there is to know about you. He knows things about you you don't know about you. We'll see that as we move through this psalm. And, and I, th- I think where we want to go first is just to ask this question, what is this whole thing of omniscience? What does it mean that God knows everything? 
It doesn't seem very hard. We would get it right on a quiz. If there were just information and answers we should, we should place, we would check the right box. But as we explore the concept that God is omniscient, well, we have to admit that if God is omniscient and knows all things past and present and future, that he is more than omniscient. He is everywhere present. As we see in this psalm, he is omnipresent. He is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He works all things together according to his will. He's he's all-wise. Everything he does is the best thing for his glory, and he works for our good in the midst of this. So omniscience encompasses a lot as we look to God. Omniscience includes those things, and, and, and so as we turn to, say, uh, various places where we learn about God, Psalm 115, verse 3, says that God is in his heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. God is free to do what he pleases in this universe. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14 says that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Isaiah 55 and verse 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. This is what we learn about the the power of God. My word will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose. So what God intends to do, he always does. He gets it done by the power of his word. He accomplishes what he intends to accomplish. Everything in creation obeys the Lord. God has control even over the sinful actions of other people. And we'll think about that because when we think about the omnipotence and the omniscience of God, we, we come to a, a bit of a, a difficulty as we think through, well, what does that mean for the hard things that I've experienced in my life? In Genesis 45, Joseph would say it like this to his brothers. And by the way, if you've experienced a long season of weird relationships in your family of origin, and it's just weird, it's dysfunctional. You're called to this place before the Lord being undone and saying, Lord, what are you doing? And Joseph says it like this. Now, brothers, don't be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me into slavery. That's the dysfunction of his family. Don't don't worry about that. God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine's been in the land these years. You think that you sold me into slavery, but I've come to understand it was not you who sent me here. It was the Lord. And so you say, what's going on in my family? And Joseph would say, after a long period of processing my life before the Lord, I am relinquishing control of and realizing that in God's sovereignty, he put me in that family. And that family brought me to where I am today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's omnipotence and freedom to do all that he intends to do. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Jesus sustains all things by the word of his power. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says that when we roll the dice, if you roll the dice ever or cast the lot, the Lord determines the outcome of every roll of the dice. There are no coincidences. There is no luck. There is no karma. 
Proverbs 16.33 says the Lord determines everything. And if it's not enough that he sustains the world with the word of his power and he sets the borders for every country, according to Acts 17 and verse 26, he establishes good rulers and bad. And when they make a decision, he either causes their decision to have, to have content or not. He puts them in, he takes them out. He moves in their decision-making process. According to Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, he decides which rulers stand and which fall. He decides trivial things, too. He, he knows the hairs on your head. Insert bald joke here. <laughs> Whatever you got. I don't know what you would say about his file of your hair. But he's got a file on your hair. Uh, we were traveling. Nikki and I were traveling. It was a great time. It was just the two of us. And there must have been a lull in the dazzling conversation. Because she piped up from next to me and said, I've been wondering some things, and I did an internet search, and I can tell you now that there are about 3.1 trillion trees in the world. Now, I don't know what possessed her to wonder how many trees there are in the world, or how Google knows how many trees there are in the world. But Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 says that when a sparrow falls from one of those trees, the Lord knows it. The Lord knows it. And aren't you much more valuable than a sparrow? He's keeping track of your life. He sustains all these things. God is completely in control over all of those things. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalm 147, verse 5. Peter asked, remember in John chapter 21, and Jesus comes to him time and time again, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And Peter finally says those inspired words, Lord, you know all things. Now, I want you to feel the confidence that Peter responded to the king of kings and lord of lords. He had just denied him recently. But he had the confidence to go to Jesus and say, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And so Jesus restores Peter in love. He knows the intentions and the motives of every heart, no matter what the external looks like, no matter what I say I meant after the fact, no matter how you or I try to cover things over, he knows the intentions and motives of every heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He knows the future as well as he knows the past. 1 Samuel 10, 2. And he knows the evil that his people will do even in the future, according to 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 12. The Lord knows everything. So he has exhaustive knowledge of all things, and he is working all things to an appropriate righteous end that will glorify his name beautifully with the wisdom that he produces and, and has in his heart. Here in our passage today, we see David. David's coming to understand these things. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. So the Lord turns his exhaustive knowledge on David. He, he doesn't turn it as if he learned something, but David enters a process whereby he becomes aware that God is aware of every factor and detail of David's world. You have searched me. You have made an exhausted search of my life, a detailed investigation. God knows it all. David could 
reflect on his life and say, okay, Lord, you were there when I was born as the youngest or younger brothers. You, you, you were there when I was the overlooked one. Talk about dysfunction. Dad brings all the brothers out to see whether he might be the one that is anointed the next king and forgets completely about David until the prophet says, do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, David. Have you ever been that, brother? You know, we joke about it. That hurts. Then we come to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and his big brothers on the battlefield publicly malign him and make fun of him and, and make him try to belittle him in the presence of their public uh, influence. Broken and twisted. Yet he is anointed king, the next king. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Lord sees while David should have been out at war, but he stays home and lusts after his neighbor and commits sin with her and kills her husband. So those are the kind of things in David's mind when he says, Oh Lord, you have searched me, known me, When I forget that you're even there, you know what I'm thinking from afar. That's, I think, the picture of you discern my thoughts from afar. So I'm not aware of your presence, but you know everything about me. He, He knows what David is thinking. You search out my path. And that word path indicates the habits. And all of us have habits. He knew what time David awoke in the morning, and he knew his tendencies. Was he a night guy or a morning guy? He knew how fast he drove the chariot. He knew how he thought about his people who reported to him, and he knew his lying down. He's acquainted with all of his habits and his vices and his addictions. He knew them all. He knew why. And how those things formed in David's life. He knows every thought that David would think. He knew about David's worries and what he was concerned about and what kept him up at night. It says here in verse 4, even before a word is on David's tongue. You don't don't just guess what David's going to say. Behold, take a look at this. Oh Lord, you, you know every word I've ever spoken. You know how I use human language. You know the words that so quickly come out of my mouth. You know whether I am slow to speak and quick to listen. You know the judgmental tendencies of the words and the way that I use them because they bubble up right out of my heart, says David. You know it all together before I say one of them. And this is where you and I insert ourselves into this text. He knows all those things about you. The Lord has made a detailed investigation of you and sovereignly knows all things, and there is nothing that is hidden. You might remember a time when you were five years old, seven years old, and some situation came up and you began to be aware of your willingness to sin. You may begin uh, or remember a time like David would when he would say, you know everything about me, a season of your life when you acted as if the Lord did not know. You wandered off 
and did things your own way for a whole season. The Lord knows. Those sins have to be paid for. The Lord knows every move that you have ever made, every moment that you, every movement that you will make tomorrow. When you forget about him, he is completely aware of you and all that you're thinking and what's going on in your heart. He knows the twists and the turns that your life has made, and he knows what's coming tomorrow that you don't know is coming tomorrow. He knows about your habits and how you drive your car. He knows how seriously you take stop signs when you don't think there's police at the four-way stop. He knows how seriously I need to stop at four-way stops when there's no one else present, right? My habits... He knows what's on your mind when you wake up in the middle of the night, and he knows the things that produce anxiety in your world. He knows it all. He has complete understanding of every word that you're going to say today and through this week before you do, and he has surrounded you on all sides. Do you, do you see that in verse 5? It then comes and says, well, you hem me in behind and before. So if we have asked this question, what is omniscience? And we've tied omniscience to this all-powerful God who not only knows everything but is everywhere. And we come to this, this question, I'm going to have to like process this for a while. Like the way I wrote it in the notes from verses 5 down through 12 is, is I, I need to come to grips with God's omniscience. Or we could say it like this. Is this a good thing? Is it a good thing that God knows everything? Verse 5 says he hems us in and he puts a hand in front of us and he puts a hand behind us. And, and in the United States of America, when we think about a hand in front of us and a hand behind it, we call it entrapment. He's surrounded us. We have old movies based on come out, come out with your hands up. You're surrounded. There's no way out. God knows all things. And he knows what's going on in your heart and your life. So is this information too wonderful? And I look at my life and I, and I consider where I've been and who I am. I look back and I think about some things I'm ashamed of. I don't know myself fully or why I do all the things that I do, and you don't either. I made a life of avoiding figuring myself out. I made a life of, of just getting the next thing done so I don't have to think about why I do some of the things that I do, but God knows fully. And you know that sitting in the presence of God is one of the greatest change agents that you can submit yourself to, knowing that he has his eyes fixed on you. If you want to become whole, shalom, peace with yourself and the world around you, sit and be undone in the uh, honest and open presence of God, being free with God and admitting who you are before him, right? But if it's not just the personal information, we ask, is it good that God is sovereign? Because there's many, many things in this world at this moment I just don't like. Why, God? Why war? Wasn't there a kinder and gentler way for you to accomplish something good than what you had to go through? It's a question of omniscience. In a world of abuse, my family would love the child. 
that you took. Why? This question of omniscience is not for the faint of heart. If God could short-circuit the worst events, the worst terrorism, the worst wars, the worst natural disasters, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he do these things? If God could give a gift or a blessing to me that seemingly everybody else in my world has, somehow I'm the one that doesn't hold that blessing. Why? What's he waiting for? What's happening in these moments? And a million other questions about equity and timing and provisions and protections and blessings. Why? Why, God? And isn't this the question of Job? Here he is saying to the Lord, okay, I'm blameless in this situation. If I could just have five minutes in the presence of God, I could make my case and help him see that I've been blameless and that he's in the wrong and that he should restore me and everything will be okay. I could convince him in those five minutes. But instead, Job sits completely bare before the Lord. His friends come and are of no help at all. And he becomes aware that he has searched me and that he knows me. And when he begins to question God, you all know what happens next to Job. When the Lord comes and says, where were you, Job? How could you give wisdom to the all-wise one? How could I question any of his ways? And so in sitting before presence of the Lord with difficulty in his mind and heart, Job gets the presence of the Lord. So I don't like it. What if I don't like this? What if I don't like this omniscient thing? What if I don't like my family of dysfunction? And we've already talked about Joseph saying, well, you brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Psalm, excuse me, Genesis 50 verse 20. What if I don't like all the wasted years of my life? And Moses would say in Exodus chapter 3 that when he came to the burning bush at 80 years old, having done nothing significant with his life yet, that moment when he took off his sandals and stood on holy ground, ended all of his questions as he met with the Lord. I can't believe how much he took from me. Job would say, what he's learned is no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I cannot believe that I'm struggling with sin. And Paul would say, I'm the chief of sinners. And with this exhaustive foreknowledge of my life and exhaustive uh, omniscience of my life, God forgives me. I am so tired of waiting for the promise that I thought I heard clearly God would give. And Abraham would say, finally, at 100 years old, the Lord comes through in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. I cannot believe that God is withholding a blessing that I feel very qualified to receive. And David would say, I never got to build the temple. He took it from me. Not a wait. Straight up, no. And God is omniscient. So what if I don't like this omniscience? And Joseph and Moses and Job and Paul and Abraham and David would say, we didn't get answers. We didn't get all the answers we wanted. But here's what we got. The presence of God came and rested on us. 
And he assured us that he was there with us. And he assured us that he is all wise. And he assured us that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he assured us that when our days in this world are over, he will take us to be with him forever. He assured us that in his sovereign knowledge of our sin, he, there's not one of them that will miss his presence and, and knowledge. And therefore, he will forgive us of them all. He will be good to us. He assured us. When we didn't like the answers to the questions... We got the Lord. And friends, isn't this what the gospel is all about? That God does the ultimate broken thing. God, God sends his son perfect from heaven to accomplish his will. That, and the, the righteous one dies so that the unrighteous one, ones, you and I, can be forgiven forever. That God uh, uh, puts his wrath on his own son who is innocent so that he can absorb the wrath that you and I deserve. How beautiful is it that God knows that in God's omniscience, he did things that were hard. In God's omniscience, he did things even that he didn't love for a greater good for you and for me. Indeed, the Lord alone keeps his every promise. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments at the end. But number three, if we would say, okay, what is omniscience? And coming to grips with God's omniscience, if we look back at verse five, yes, it's true. These are good things. Look at verse six. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Do you know when you sit in the presence of the Lord and he teaches you about his omniscience, Directed at you, you learn things that you would never have learned otherwise. So God uses the trouble and the problem. At the birth of my, one of my children, I'll just tell you, it's the first one. I won't use names, but I'll just tell you this. Uh, uh, our first child was born, and I'm telling you, Nikki, it was so easy for her, but I blacked out. Like, like I was there. And I remember there was a child coming, and I remember the doctor looking at me and saying, congratulations, Dad. And I just, like, got weak kneed and, like, sat down and don't remember anything that happened that day. I didn't wake up for, like, like three weeks. <laughs> Nikki was fine. She was doing her thing, you know. But I'm, I'm there like, what just happened? That's the wording of verse 6. How could it be? be that the king of kings and lord of lords has turned his knowledge on you how could it be that he knows everything about your life and what will happen and and what you're doing and and your cares and concerns and what keeps you up at night how could it be this knowledge is like, it's, I blacked out. It's too wonderful for me. Look at how good God is. And so while we have our real questions about God's omniscience, David has processed all of the pain and trouble of his life to the point where he just can barely believe the goodness of the Lord. And so our third concept here is that we, we need to learn to love the fact that God has omniscience toward us, that God has turned his heart towards us. And so uh, that, that is the conclusion that David comes to. If you'll notice in verse 1, it said, the Lord has searched me. That's past tense. That happened. David just becomes aware of it. And now, here in verse 23, David's saying, now I'm going to look ahead to the rest of my life. And here's what the first thing I'm going to ask the Lord to do. 
Keep on searching me, Lord. Don't stop it. Don't stop making an investigative, an exhaustive search of my life. Keep it coming, Lord. Keep it coming. We sit in the presence of the Lord, and we are learning to trust him. Keep searching me, Lord. See, uh, the, the second, search me and know my heart and try me. That word try there is like a, it's a commerce word. And it's, it's like test, like if you were going to buy a piece of gold in the marketplace, they would have a test to say, okay, is this really gold? And they would prove it to you before your eyes. Yes, this is the real McCoy. This is the real deal. Try me. Try me. And when the Lord tries us, he shows us that we, are the, we really have faith, that we really have faith in him. Have you asked God for that? Well, that is when you realize the sovereign omniscience of the Lord and then go into his presence and say, you know what I want, Lord? Would you please try me? Don't allow me to keep on looking at my life with the same information that's been going around in my head for the last four years, five years, 20 years. Don't allow me to keep seeing myself as, I'm pretty good. I know enough about the Lord. I know pretty much about the Lord. I've read that verse before. I get it. In this difficulty with, with, your, with a spouse or a neighbor or a friend or someone you work with, just holding to your position because that's the position you've held to for so long. And David's like, no, no, no. I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for the Lord to try me. I'm asking that rather than me giving a judgment that I'm good enough and that I'm okay and that my personality is good and that I don't have a problem with this situation and I don't have a, 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 some kind of a guilt in this, in this disagreement. Rather than that, going to the Lord with your, with your Bible open and your, and your uh, journal open and you saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, try me. Try me. Would you please show me? Please open my eyes to the areas I'm blind to myself because you know me better than I know me. Would you please do this work? Lead me in the way that is everlasting. And guys, as we look forward to the future, again, one of the things that's going to actually cause us to change the most and live a different life in the future than we've lived in the past is not uh, three steps. It is not willpower. It is coming into the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and living as if he sees every decision of your heart, every motive, every plan, every dream that you dream, and him uh, leading you in the way that is everlasting. Three hints for growing Christians and we're going to be done. Okay? Here we go. As we apply this to our lives now. Ready? Number one, confidence. As you trust him, The Lord will use everything he knows about you for your good. He doesn't have a secret agenda. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. 
if the Lord is all-powerful and all-wise and working all things, that is the reason we can have confidence before him that he can keep all of his promises. If he's not all-wise and he's not omniscient, then I'm not sure he can keep his promises. But the reality is he is. And so we have confidence before the Lord to trust him. The Lord will use everything that he knows about you. Now listen, it won't always feel good. But he's working a holiness process, a sanctification process in your life. And that's number two, sanctification. The real, the key to change in my life is a constant awareness of the Lord's presence and knowledge in my life. In Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 12, there's actually leaders in Israel. And they're in the, the temple of the Lord. And they... They should be aware that the Lord is there, right? And and this is a story in Ezekiel chapter 8 that the Lord's glory is about to leave the earth until he returns at the second coming. And one of the the things that is happening in Israel that is like the last straw for God is that in the leadership of Israel, they are living how they want to live. And here's how it's put in verse 12, Ezekiel 8, 12. Then he said to me, son of man, you have seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark. Have you seen it? Each in his room with pictures. For here's what the elders of Israel are saying. The Lord doesn't see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And can I just tell you, The Lord sees you. The Lord sees the meditations of your heart. He sees the desires of your heart. He sees the desires of my heart. And that is too wonderful for words because he will not let me say to him, oh, my personality is better than some others. I'm good enough. No, in the presence of the Lord, he's convicting my heart and yours to say, I'm watching you, there's accountability, and I want you to know the love of God in Christ Jesus that he will not turn his back and let me go my way. Accountability is not primarily that that God knows, it's that God sees and is watching over me with love. God's full knowledge of us does not take us off the hook for our sins. Don't think, oh, well, the the Lord sees and he's going to forgive anyway. So let me just follow a little right now. That's what being in the presence of the Lord is all about. It is maximal full engagement. Confidence, sanctification, and number three, forgiveness. This one, can I just say, if you've been through some hard stuff in your life, let me say this gently, but I need to say it, okay? If you look back, and you can read this later, uh, verses 19 through 22 talk about the fact that those those who continue to rebel against God will be brought to justice by God. And so here's what I want to say to you. Every act of disobedience and injustice that you have experienced in this world, God will, will hold the perpetrator responsible. So, you don't have to. God's omniscience means you can forgive. 
God's omniscience means that you can come to an end and drop the grudge. God's omniscience omniscience means that you can examine your own bitterness in the presence of the Lord and remember that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your bitterness and will forgive it. He hasn't missed it. When he's come scouring with his full knowledge of your life, he saw that too. And that's forgiven if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, some of you have been hurt so deeply by evil people. And I am saying this to you gently. Your trouble and pain is in a different category sometimes than many people sitting here. But the Lord's knowledge and exhaustive knowledge of your why questions, as you sit and wrestle with the Lord, you can know for sure he's not going to miss the sin of the unrepentant. He'll hold them accountable. Because his name is glorious. My friends, How beautiful is it that we can be a people that can trust the exhaustive knowledge and perfect wisdom of our God. How beautiful is it that we can trust that he will keep all of his promises. How beautiful is it that we can know that he will forgive all of our sin. He knows those who love him. How beautiful is it that we don't have to hold grudges against people that have hurt us. My friends, as we come to see God's exhaustive knowledge like that, we realize it's too wonderful. And we give glory to his name because of it. So let's stand and be dismissed. Father, your glory is great. And I uh, pray for each one of us because we want to be a congregation that loves you. And you do what we talked about today with a lot of us, where you put us in a pit for a while. And all we can do is ask the why questions and the when questions and the what if questions. You come and minister to us. And I pray that that today and in the coming days that there is this growing song of realizing, oh yeah, it's true. Omniscience, it's too too wonderful, too wonderful. He knows, he knows all things and he is marching my life forward in such grace and mercy and there's not one of my sins that he won't forgive and, and his promises will all be realized and I'll see his goodness in the land of the living and, and those who remain in their sin, who remain his enemy he will hold accountable and we leave this place changed I pray Father because we know you better Lord I thank you for this passage and the way that it's ministered to my life all of these years And I pray, Father, Psalm 139, the Lord is omniscient, is an anchor we hold to all our days. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.